0: Alright, welcome. I'd like to get into things pretty quickly today, so I'll just leave a reminder that for anyone who is new to the show, please pause, jump back, check out the quick intro. It gives a lot of great context about what this project is really about, and you might be a little bit confused if you don't, so I, I suggest anyone who's new to, to check that out. That's the intro. It's the very first episode of the show, and it's only about seven minutes long, but those of you who are returning, just another reminder to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's substack.com. We've got some supplemental content coming out on a weekly basis, so it's the best place to keep tabs on the show and, and show your support. It will always be offered for free, so that's always an option, but anyone that is really getting value from the show and feels compelled to support, that's awesome and, and obviously appreciated. But other than that, we'll jump right into it. So thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Jesse, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks for having me, Brennan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh it's it's great to be doing this. And uh it's one I've been excited for, for for a couple of weeks. I think it's it's always fascinating just to be able to to talk to someone that has a, a pretty diverse background, but also in a lot of ways, just kind of pushes the barriers of what people might expect from an individual on the surface. So again, I I just appreciate you tuning in and uh I'm excited to see where this one goes. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. So today I kind of want to just jump right in um, and throw something at you that I I grabbed from uh, essentially a, a quote of yours as a jumping off point. And I know that you've said or expressed that you, you feel as though there's never been a better time to be alive than right now. and Though I I certainly agree, I'm I'm just kind of curious what that statement means to you and uh, especially now.
1: So I feel like we are at a very large scale across the world. We're at a turning point. We're at a point of infliction where what we do now on an individual basis is going to have a lasting effect on how our species evolves, or if we fall back, that's mm-hmm. the opportunity. So I, I think what I mean by that is that in the midst of, of suffering and tragedy, let's say on a global scale, a pandemic, or at an individual scale, all these people who are suffering from mental health problems or suicides, drug and over- overdoses, all these things, all this suffering and tragedy that's, that's out across the world, from my perspective is a huge opportunity. So mm-hmm. that's why I believe it's a, the there's never been a better time in the history of the world to be alive because what we do now has has never, what we do now is going to ripple forward for generations if there mm-hmm. will ever be generations based on what we do now. So I think we have a, a huge responsibility and with that responsibility comes a lot of power to influence what comes next. But that aside, like right now, there's a a huge opportunity to to I, I see a lot of systems coming up, a lot of things coming to people's awareness about injustices. There's a lot of unrest across the world, whether it's because of the pandemic or people being unhappy with the way things are. You know, pre- police brutality. There's so much stuff coming to the surface,
0: right.
1: and we have an opportunity to fix that. We have an opportunity to make a difference in the world. We have an opportunity that no other generation before us has has ever had. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think that's that's what we're moving towards and, and these, these great opportunities to make some serious changes in, in the world. Plus, we have technology. We have ways to communicate like this, share our stories, connect with people around the world like we haven't ever been able to do before. Mm-hmm. We're able to look up on our phone. I think there's something about we have as much information in the palm of our hand on a phone that we can look up at any time than the president of the United States did in the early 2000s before the cell phones come out we have so much information mm-hmm. we have everything we need right here in front of us we have ways to communicate we have all the tools we need to create change in our lives and around the world and that again is is the opportunity here so it's a mix of our responsibility to make change for future generations combined with all the things that we have are here we just need to apply them take action on them, get around the right people. So we can bring these positive changes to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think on the flip side of this, just like if we're looking at a individual level on the flip side of this, you know, it's, it's really more tragedy and more suicides and more overdoses and all these sort of things. And on a global scale, we have climate change, we have the pandemic, we have all these serious problems that are in need of people willing to step up and create change. And so mm-hmm. again, in in the midst of that, that struggle, that adversity is, I believe the greatest opportunity that we have.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great point and, and helps to hear you speak to it from, I guess, more of a opportunistic perspective that there's there, it's clear that there's never been more leverage to apply for individuals and though, uh, of course, that extends both ways to some extent. That you know, our our capacity for for good or or evil, however you interpret that, is is certainly at its peak. And um, as as you spoke to before, it it does at times feel like uh, kind of a fork in the road. That that where we go from here is is critically important. But I guess I'm I'm curious if you have a a vision yourself of of what uh, I guess the more positive lane that we could choose would look like or uh, what sorts of changes you're, you're optimistic about. The first thing that comes to my mind is
1: this sort of vision of a more connected and conscious world. And I believe it's where we look beyond our superficial sort of titles and labels. I think something this podcast is trying to highlight these, these stories we, this, this front we put up around ourselves, it's looking beyond that and, and seeing the human, Behind those stories, and I feel like as we're moving into this, like the opportunity is to it's for it's for businesses to business leaders to to not just be focusing on profits. It's for them to be focusing on on their people and their, the stakeholders, the people in the community they're being affected. You know, so it's not we're not just it's 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 like a it's a a need. I think the future. The opportunity, the only thing that we really, we can't have, I, I'm not looking, I don't focus a lot on the, on the negative. I, I've seen a lot of the negative. I've seen the, the fringes of society as a firefighter and as a Marine, I've seen, I've seen suicides. You know, I've seen people hang from the rafters. I've seen uh, overdoses. My best friend from the Marines died of a heroin overdose. You know, so I know those things are there. I'm not naive to the, those, those things, but I don't believe that's, that's the only thing that there is. That's not our destiny. I think, that what we have here is an opportunity to find true healing within ourselves mm. and become the change we need to become. I have a, a vision of people being empowered to make these changes. They have the tools, they have the resources, they have the community to make make those things happen. And I believe we have an, a, in a sustainable future for us, for future for future generations. I, don't, I actually don't think that like in 20 years from now, if we continue at this current like way of living in the world like the world will even be sustainable for human life like Mm -hmm. i don't feel comfortable bringing a child into the world because of how like dire climate change the civil unrest a lot of these mental health issues like mass shootings like all these things that are going on i don't i don't Mm -hmm. i don't think i don't feel comfortable bringing a child into the world for that but so i'm doing my best to to create change within myself and in my community and help people overcome trauma and realize that you know, the past doesn't define us, we're defined by what we do moving forward. And I think that as we move into this idea of this more connected and conscious world, we're able to move past our traumas and, you know, our, our differences and the things that once separated us. And those are the things that actually bring us together and make us stronger because we all need each other. Mm-hmm. this is where the connection comes in. We all need each other, our, our different insights, ideas and abilities, our different perspectives, people from around the world coming together to solve these serious problems. Because again, back to the first question, you know, it's like, we're not going to be able to make it, we're not going to be able to make, make it any longer. Right. If, if we don't do this.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot to, uh, a lot to crack into there. And, and I, I appreciate you sharing that, but it's, I guess a few things I'm picking up on, I've heard you talk about, about healing, about consciousness, about being more connected and, um. Though I already have that prior understanding that you're pretty tuned into the world of of plant medicine, um, th- these are all things that that kind of converge for me. So I'm I'm just kind of curious if you could maybe speak to the the role that plant medicine has played in your life this far, and and how you see that fitting into this broader picture.
1: Plant medicine, psychedelics—they help move you from your head to your heart. And that's what I think is needed. That's what I mean by when in, in my last, the last thing I said about businesses, We need business leaders. Business has the most potential for positive social change on the largest scale. But in order for that to be a, a real thing, for it to be positive and sustainable, we need to have leaders that aren't just focused on the on the on the profits and just like raping and pillaging the world. We need them to come to their heart and think about the impact this is having on the people around them, the community, the environment, these sort of things. And so plant medicine is a tool to bring you from your head to your heart. It's a, it's a way to open you up, learn how to love and accept yourself. It shifts your perspective on, on the world. And it's opened up my heart. It's gifted me an entirely new perspective on the. The reason I know this is because it's done this for me. I, 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 my first experience with ayahuasca was about three years ago and at a retreat in Costa Rica. And for the first time in my life, I felt this feeling of complete and unconditional love. And this deep sense of compassion for the people around me and this knowing that there's more to life than what I had been experiencing, even though by some definitions I had achieved a relatively high level of success, it opened me up. It connected to my heart. And the next experience allowed me to confront some things, the ways I was living that if I didn't if I if I didn't make some changes in my life they would run me into the ground they 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 showed me that I was being it was it, the second experience was basically like a, a a grainy video recording of me watching myself not be present for people who love me for my family for my for my now wife for for me being distracted and, and mm. only concerned with myself and it showed me that if I don't start to be a bit more present and a bit more grounded, then I'm going to miss the opportunity of what really matters here. And that's the people around us. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's connecting me deeply with my intuition. It's, it's, it showed, again, it showed me another way to, to, to view myself, others in the world. It's, it's given, it's, 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 it showed me, I think what I, uh, what I think we really are. As, as humans. And I've had some very profound mystical experiences with plant medicine that I think have convinced me that this is a tool that can actually heal the world. It can heal us as individuals. If it, on a societal level, it can bring out to light these different things and give us other options on how to address these things. So we're not just plowing our lives, or plowing our way through life, doing the same thing we've always done. Because again, I think that if we keep doing the same thing we've always done, just because we've always done it, then we're not. It's not sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly something that resonates. And though I don't personally have experience with with ayahuasca, I've, I have a, a good amount of experience with with psilocybin and LSD and and a few other compounds. And I I certainly, as I said, can can resonate with a lot of the. The insights that that you've gained and that you feel like are applicable, but I'm also curious uh, I know it's a, a common phenomena a common experience to to uh, have these experiences with psychedelics and and to have some trouble finding ways to actually integrate them into i guess quote unquote regular life that it's almost as they say kind of like you know taking the elevator to everest and and getting this glimpse of of how different. Things can be, um, but then obviously you return to to normalcy, and and sometimes that that really is where the work begins. It, it's to to figure out a way to integrate what you've gotten a glimpse of, what you've you know gotten a very raw and uh, unfiltered look at, and trying to apply that to your to your day to day life. Um, so I'm just curious if if that's something that that you've struggled with, or or something that you've you've had particular Found particular tools to help uh, integrate and, and really connect the two experiences. I always say that
1: I think things like ayahuasca, specifically, but uh, even maybe uh, the other plant medicines you've discussed are they they come into our life at the right time. And there's a feeling or a saying, sort of, in the in the plant medicine world with ayahuasca, at least, that like. You will be called, right? Like, it, it, like when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and so there's uh, this comes into your awareness. You acknowledge that you want to go down to Costa Rica or to Colombia or Peru or find the place here in the states, whatever that. Now, might be to to go to a retreat, and maybe it simmers for like a couple of years. Maybe you just take action on it right away. You hear, watch a show, and you're like, "That's what I need right now." Whatever, whatever it is, is different for everybody but i think making that journey that trip wherever it might be is is like making it halfway but like you said brandon the the real work begins once you get home and your you have an opportunity to apply the lessons you've learned during that experience to your re- to your everyday life because if you don't then i mean th- these these medicines these psychedelics these things are are tools that reveal different parts of us that we have an opportunity to address or be grateful for, or make subtle shifts in our life. But most oftentimes they're not really, they're simple lessons like the overarching theme from the first two ayahuasca experiences for me was love and compassion and presence and gratitude. And so then my task is to then be a bit more present and grateful in my everyday life and show a little bit more love and compassion to myself, others and people around the world. And when I didn't do that, my next experience with ayahuasca dialed in the lesson a bit harder that if you don't do this in regards to being present and grateful for the people that I have around me, then, well, these people aren't going to be here forever. Mm. And you need to do this because they're not guaranteed. And so for me, the experience of these things, it depends on, on the, on the person, the, the medicine, the, how you're approaching these things. But I see them as like tools, these experiences that come into your life that give you exactly what you need when you need it. And then you have an opportunity to make some changes. And if you don't make the changes, if you go back, you're gonna get the same lesson. It's going to be harder, maybe a bit more aggressive or loud or however the, the experience shows for you. But Like you said, the key is making those changes. It's it's integrating your experiences, and I think the key to that is acknowledging where you're at, acknowledging what you need to do, being really intentional about the lessons you've learned, whether it's writing them down, or speaking into something, or this is probably your only option is maybe talking to a friend about it in a safe space. I think intention is, um, integration circles are huge. So I think that's the first key is like really capturing those lessons, and then finding out how you can apply them to your life. And I think as 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 it goes to that, applying these simple practices to your life, these simple lessons, a big component of any positive change, I think, is accountability. So it's getting someone on board to make sure you're you're staying accountable, whether it's a coach or a trusted friend or, you know, someone who was there at the ceremony with you. Um, and I think the the key is just to be okay with where you are and be really intentional. That's that's what I mean by being conscious. Like consciousness is just an increased awareness and plant medicines specifically bring to your awareness things that most oftentimes we are suppressing. They bring to light our shadow and these different things we don't wanna address. And so I think a big part of that is just staying aware, staying conscious, being okay with where you are, but committing to making the changes Otherwise, I mean, it, it it turns from being a tool to just like a that can help you change your life to a, I don't know, a, like a like a high, like a, a an escape, a distraction from mm. your life.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a that's definitely an interesting way of putting it. Um, but yeah, on on this front specifically, and I I know through your exposure to the project this far, you know that identity is a, is a pretty core concept here. And so I, I've heard you speak to, especially over the past three years, you've had a lot of plant medicine experiences. You were a firefighter, you were a Marine, you've had a lot of changes in your life. Um, and through all of that, I'm I'm just curious how your relationship with your ego has, has evolved over that span. I think how oh, my ego has evolved. Well, I think I went through like the,
1: the, I have a like picturing my mind right now, like a, a sort of stepping, a stairway, even like stepping up each time, like going through the normal process of, I mean, I didn't know what the fucking ego was for most of my life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like the main thing. I probably had, um, had a chip on my shoulder a lot of my life because of how I grew up and, and what I thought I was supposed to be. And I just pretty much like lived like that until I was 28 years old.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there were some big changes in my life when I was about 28. And I think for the first time, that's when I kind of got a feel for These programs that were running me, these things that I had identified with my physical body, my a, a title, things outside of myself, really, that mm-hmm. I think my ego was like seeking and, and driving me towards and, and defending that wouldn't allow me to, to move forward. So I think that, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. And then I realized it was running my life and in a way ruining my life. And if I need to make some changes around this and let go of, of, of this, then, you know, I was having suicidal thoughts. I was a firefighter of the year. I was smoking weed at work. I, I, I you know I was, I thought, I thought I was, I should just kill myself. And I knew that if I didn't make some changes, then that, that would be my, my destiny. Because if I mm-hmm. think back on my life, when I was in seventh grade, I was also having suicidal thoughts, you know, I actually took committing suicide in seventh grade. And so I had these cycles going on. It's pretty clear to me looking back now, this was my ego, you know, and I had these cycles going on, these programs running my life that if I didn't change, if I I didn't break the cycle, that would be my destiny. And so what I've now learned, and I think really through plan medicine, which helped me out a lot was bring to the surface, these shadow parts of myself, these things uh, that my ego, let's say, wasn't allowing me to see. Mm -hmm. And Now it's like, um, and that's, that's been like a three-year journey. So it's, it's been an ongoing process and it's something I probably still struggle with today with some ideas of like my ego, but I think I have much healthier balance now Mm -hmm. in my life. I think that I have, I don't think ego is all bad. I think that if we didn't have egos, you know, we would just be like, maybe we would be we would have no drive to do anything with ourselves to be of service to anybody but ourselves. We wouldn't have anything more going on. I think it's like a tool. And so it, it's went from running running my life to this idea that I need this to create change in my life for my family, for the my community, for the people around me, in my in my businesses and these sort of things. And I see it as like a I see ego as like a well like a puppy it's like a a dog that needs to be trained or it's going to shit all over your house it's it's like (laughs) a it's something we need we need like i need a puppy let's say right but but it's not the one making decisions for me it's it's stepping in when it's stepping up when i need to step in but i'm I'm falling back on on my values my vision what's important to me um and i'm using my this puppy, you know, to do the work to move forward, so i, I like to think of it as like a, a tool that I'm using now and something that I have to be aware of so i I don't let it run my life, but I see it as a necessary sort of tool in this process
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a that's an interesting way of of putting it and i I think it's it's something I've touched on before on previous episodes, and it's something I always like to ask people about just as far as the role it plays in their lives and how they see it and how they relate to it because as you said i think a lot of people live in that mode where it's it's not even really on their radar right or it's it's just kind of a uh it's kind of just a back of the mind sort of thing and it's it's more so you know y- you might hear the expression someone has a big ego or someone who's who's arrogant or something like that but i think uh for most people it's it's not a it's not a primary concern. But on on some level that especially after having any sort of a psychedelic experience and uh taking a step back from from the persona that we sort of bring to the world and uh the the sorts of stories and narratives that we that we build in our lives to protect ourselves and to achieve certain ends and all sorts of things that as as you've spoken to are, are certainly valuable. And when people Deal with adversity in life and challenges. It's it is at times essential to just try to protect yourself and to just try to push through for for whatever that takes, or to develop certain uh, programs, as you put it, to to get through things. and And I don't think there's, I don't think people ought to feel shameful about that. But at the same time, I think uh, at a certain point in life, there there is a time to reflect on that and decide whether these things are as valuable as they used to be anymore, or, uh, if there's, there's a way to relate to them in a, in a new capacity that could, could be more useful for whatever you're trying to accomplish, uh, at present. So for, for me, it's, it's always this, this kind of back and forth where I, I do a lot of work to try to, uh, I guess, as you put it, maintain control or not necessarily even control, but, um, remain aware of, of when my ego steps in and how that can take a lot of different forms. And it's not always like the, uh, I'm, I'm the best in the world (laughs) kind of mentality. It it a lot of times can, can more so take, take the form of just trying to protect you and, and your ideas about the world and, uh, what you feel like you deserve in, in all of that. But it's, it's definitely interesting to hear you, hear you speak about it a little bit and Especially, you made a note, note earlier that I'd kind of like to jump back to. You said you um, had you know, a sort of suicidal bout when, when you were in seventh grade and also that you had a little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder growing up based on how you, how you came up and, and how you were raised. And I'm um, just a little curious uh, what sort of maybe experiences you had as a kid or, or what kind of drove you to that place and uh, how you relate to that now.
1: Yeah, and I want to touch back on that, I think, on the ego thing, and I'll answer a question. I think it's like a our ego is, an, is something we have. To, it's a necessary psychological component of being a human. We have to develop it in a healthy manner. But then, like you said, then our opportunity is to, to transcend that and to move beyond that and it, integrate it into our life in a healthy way so it's not running our lives. And, yeah, so I just wanted to say that. It's a necessary thing mm-hmm. in our lives. And I think if people don't have an established, a healthy relationship with their ego or understand that these different, there's different parts of the human psyche, including the ego, then that's where they run into trouble and they Mm -hmm. be consumed by their life in whatever way that might be. Yeah. I mean, a little bit about me, I guess. Um, So, well, I I think that now that I look back on my life, I mean, the first thing that it's, 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 clear to me, but I know that, so I know the first seven years of her life is when, is when you're, you're effectively in what's called th- theta brainwave state in your, in this brainwave state of hypnosis. And you're just taking in what's going on in your environment as a way of understanding what you need to do as you grow older mm-hmm. and how to f- assimilate into your family and the community and these sort of things. So I think that what I'm, my, what I'm getting at with this is during those first seven years of her life, things that happen are, are amplified. There's a quote that goes, give me a, a man till the, or give me a boy till the age of seven and I'll show you the man. So the things that happened the first seven years of our life are just have a huge impact on our lives and tell, unless we address them, whether it's mm. trauma or just some sort of, um, in my case, my parents split up when I was seven. My, my, my father was, I mean, he's in the military and so he wasn't around very much. And then my parents fought a lot. And then, My parents split up when I was seven, and I think I took a lot of responsibility for that as a kid because that's what kids do—they think the world revolves around them. It's 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 their fault. It was my fault, right? And I should have done something better. You know, it's my my responsibility. These sort of things. But my mom was going to. So that was probably the first thing. Um, My mom was an oncology nurse when my parents split up, and then she had to open up a childcare had had to quit her job basically because she couldn't afford as a single mother of four kids. My dad moved away. A single mother of four kids, she couldn't afford childcare for, for all of us. Mm. So she decided to open up her own child care. Um so she had this career change and I mean it was she was really emotionally she was a roller coaster. And so a lot of things contribute to that. This divorce this career change the financial strain went under like my my family like filed she filed bankruptcy twice when i was a growing up but uh, like a year or two after my parents split up my mom made this career change started this new business the struggling business and then my older brother got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 14. so she went from being an oncology nurse to now her son had had cancer and around this time my, my older brother and i we weren't getting like the love and affection to develop the all help that, that all kids need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, a, a lot of things I guess go, go into that. My, my mom was, my dad wasn't around, my mom wasn't able to, I feel like I'm struggling a little bit to, to say exactly what this was, cause she, she did love us, but it's almost like something was missing and might've been my, my dad was gone or whatever, but basically I got in a lot of trouble. I started getting in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. Um, I felt very unloved as a child, I think is what it came down to although my mom tried her best, I felt mm. very unloved as a child, which led to me getting in a lot of trouble, acting out a lot. One day after a fight with my mom the summer before seventh grade, I feeling unloved, feeling like no one cared about me, I went upstairs with a butcher knife into my bedroom and dug my dug the knife into my my wrist, wishing I was dead. So, I mean, that, that was the first, the first thing for me. And that was just this, this realization. And I remember sitting up there closing my eyes after I had started to cut my wrists. And I thought about my mom and her coming upstairs and like seeing my dead body there and like what that would do to her. Cause she was already an emotional roller rollercoaster. My, my brother had cancer already. My, my her, her business was struggling. We were having a hard time, you know, paying the bills. She had no support. She was a single mom, and I just thought about like, wow, I would be responsible for the heartbreak that would come from her coming up. So, I mean, so that was that was that was basically that first that first thing. And then my life really, I I, I continued to get in trouble moving forward from there. But in seventh grade, I was, well, I was in seventh grade on in two thousand one on on nine eleven. And for the first time in my life, as I sat in this reading class in seventh grade, watching the Twin Towers come down, I got this feeling of like, I want to, and I, and, I, and I learned about the, the stories of the, the firefighters from New York City who ran up and who risked their lives in, in, the, in the face of near certain death to help complete strangers. And I heard about the people who went to serve their country. And I was like, you know what, I want to I be a part of that. I want to do that. And that really just kind of gave me this feeling like there's more to life than just myself for the first time in my life. Yeah. And that sort of, that sort of laid the trajectory for my life. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into this, I guess, but basically because of that day, I wanted to be, or that, that time period of my life as a seventh grade boy, I wanted to be, become a Marine and a firefighter. And then I, I moved forward on that path and I became both of those things. But why it came back around when I was 28 years old, I was the firefighter of the year and I had just started this, this nonprofit, I was doing this, all this stuff that I thought I was supposed to be doing. My whole life had been preparing me for these things. And, you know, I mean, basically, all this stuff that I had been neglecting all that sort of childhood stuff, I, I got in trouble a lot, you know, my, my freshman year of, of high school. And I was always kicked out of school for Friday, smoke a week because I'm you not know, teachers. And then my freshman year in high school, I, I punched my mom in the face after a fight we had and like knocked her out. And, you know, she told me I came downstairs after, after that, like very afraid, unsure of what had happened. It was just like a reaction that I had after she was like hitting me back me in the corner was hitting me. I hit her back and you know, it was, it's, it's stunned both of us. But I came downstairs and, and I saw my mom crying on the couch with a you know, a an ice pack on her face. And she's like, Call your dad. You're not welcome here anymore. You know, and so I think ever since then I have been trying to overcompensate for this feeling of not being good enough that my own mother kicked me out. My dad left when I was a kid. And um, this being deemed a failure. I was told when I was in eighth grade that I'd be better in jail by the time I turned 18. Like all these things were just kind of coming up. So I used that that anger that I felt. To build up this physical body, you know, and this these successes in the Marine Corps, I was very aggressive, mean even. And I had a lot of success because that's what you need in the Marines to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I, in the fire service, I same thing. Um, but it was really all of a distraction. And I had what I really had to do was face that underlying little inner child that little Jesse that felt not good enough, you know, that little me that didn't know what it'd like to feel, feel at home, you know, who felt, feel safe in his own skin. You know, I was spending all this time distracting myself by accomplishing things and then mm-hmm. drug use came into play and that all caught up with me. You know, when I turned, when I was 28, I was a firefighter of the year. I was, I was smoking weed at work and then I started to have suicidal thoughts. And then I realized that I was having the same suicidal thoughts that I had as a seventh grade boy. And that if I didn't make some changes in my life, if I didn't do something about this now, then this would be my destiny. These were the cycles that were going on and I had to break this cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's pretty admirable that you're, you're able to even talk about these things uh, as, as openly as, as you are. And, i I think my my first response is really uh, maybe a bit of a difficult question to all of that, but I know it's so common for individuals to feel to feel defined by those sorts of experiences to as you spoke to this this inner child uh, these these things that happen at a very young age that that are impossible to outrun on some level and that Especially in in that really critical phase, that it it is so important that, as you said, you 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 get the the necessary development and, and love and affirmation uh, to be able to believe in yourself. And I think by by a lot of accounts, you've you've done very well for yourself, all things considered. But I'm just kind of curious what what you say to people who who still feel very much. Kind of tied to and defined by these very challenging experiences, and and then lack of, of love at, at a very young age.
1: Well, what I would say is your past doesn't define you. You're defined by what you choose to do moving forward. You know, we don't have control over the things that happen to us. We don't have a a say in how we grew up. We don't have a say in the family we we were born into. But we once we become aware that we are responsible for our lives, then we realize that at any time we can break the cycle. We can make some changes in our life that are needed. So we can heal ourselves. We can, you know, help other people, like whatever. It's different for everybody. So it's like there's typically what it, it always comes down to me is like there's a series of actions that you need to take. There's a series of decisions you need to make. There's some things you need to do. It could be huge. It could like my my thing was like when I was back in that, like what I decided as I reflected on my life was well, basically what what happened was that I, I decided I need to leave. I need to leave what I thought was my, my childhood dream career. So I sold all my stuff. I resigned from this sort of dream career of mine. And I spent about two and a half years traveling around the world. That was my actions that I took, but I always say, don't take on my dreams. This is different for everybody, but, but I mean, that's, but that's, that's it. I mean, like, your past doesn't define you. Okay. These things have happened to you, but they're not who you are. If you want to do something different, if you want to have a a future that's different than your past, then what you need to do is get clear about the future you want to move into. What, how do you want it to be different? And then what do you need to do to get there? Who do you need to become to live that sort of life? And then that's what you need to do.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and of, of course, at the end of the day, it's it's easier said than done. But it, it is an, a, an important message, and, and I think one that that a lot of people ultimately do need to hear. And and sometimes it's it's something that you have to hear over and over again. And it's something that I I have a somewhat complicated relationship with because I I at times I think everyone at times feels somewhat. Uh, somewhat connected and disconnected from their childhood. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I was very lucky that I I had some experiences that I faced at a young age that I think a lot of people might define as as rather challenging from the outside, but for whatever reason, and sometimes it's hard for me to even figure this out, I it, it never really got to me that much. And I don't know if that was just... My temperament, or uh, something genetic about me, the the support I maybe had from my mother or my brother, my my siblings, um, it, it's hard to pin down. But at times I, I look, I think back on some of the things that I experienced, and I'm like, I, I don't know how um, that doesn't weigh heavier on me now. Uh, but at the same time, it it also is what connects me to my past that I I feel like serves me very well now as an adult that I I can I can look back and say that these are things that I've been through and I always got through it. And um I, I guess that's something that, that sometimes is a comfort. But I guess what I'm trying to say is uh or at least just share my perspective on on these sorts of really uncontrollable experiences that we face as as children that it's there's there's not a whole lot that you can do even as a kid, as you said. You're, you're in this in this phase of kind of absorption where it's just like whatever is in your environment, whatever you're exposed to, whatever you're told, you're, you're a sponge, and and that kind of becomes your reality. And it can it can be a, quite a, a heavy load to to address as you maybe unpack some of these things as an adult and realize why you are the way that you are and, and, uh, why you react to certain things in certain ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's just to jump back a little bit, one of the, the main, uh, part of the main utility of, of plant medicine is is being able to even just gain access back to some of these, uh, experiences that, that often are, are repressed or, as I said before, we we did what we needed to protect ourselves at the time to to simply get through to to make it to the next day for whatever it is. But um, sometimes we can live uh, very disconnected from these things, and that's that has value. But at the same time, it when we find ourselves behaving in certain ways or, or falling into certain habit patterns or, or just being dissatisfied and, and not being able to explain it, uh, sometimes that's that's the place that we need to go is is to go back to the time when when we had little control and uh when we were just an innocent young person trying to trying to do whatever it takes to to just make it through and i think that's that's often where a lot of adults still find themselves understandably so is that you you're still in that mode of of trying to protect yourself at all costs uh and in a way you can't really blame people for that but you certainly, as you said, can, can empower people to, to try to step outside of that and to try to have an idea of, of what a better future might look like. And uh, that, that can be a pretty scary prospect for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that came up when you were saying that is, you know,
1: as it relates to our past, is that Steve Jobs says you can't always connect the dots looking forward something about you have to connect them when you look back, you know, they make things Mm -hmm. make sense when you, when you move on past it. And that's kind of what I heard you say there, you know, something you were going through, it it provided a new perspective. Uh, It changed your life a little bit. Maybe some people thought you would have taken it differently or they would have taken it differently in in that way, but it's, it's made you who you are and it's given you another perspective that has allowed you to, to, to show up differently in the world. And when I think about my life, or the people that I've worked with life, like a lot of times this this point of, like I for me, for example, I, I was, you know, I was suicidal. I was struggling with substance abuse. I was doing all these things. That's obviously not a good place to be in, but it makes perfect sense when I look back on it now, like I had to go through that in order to create change in my life. A lot of times people, there's a sort of idea of like this point of infliction in our life that was mine. You know, and there, people experience some sort of trauma or a, some sort of loss, and they don't understand it at the time. But then, when they look back, there's something that that came out of it that really put them on a path to living a more whole and complete life, a more authentic life, a more a more rich life. You know, where they were they were valuing the things that humans need to reconnect to and, and value. But it always, a lot of times, comes from loss or you know, a major transition, a pandemic. You know, uh, like when I punched my own freaking mom in the face. Like that's not somewhere I want to be. I definitely don't think that that's. If I would have been conscious and I would have said, "Hey, you know, you should punch your mom in the face," like I would have done that. But looking back now, as traumatic as I was, that was like the best thing that could have happened to me because those kids that I was hanging out with are literally either dead from drinking and driving they're in jail or they're addicted to drugs you know Mm -hmm. and so that was my future if i would have stayed in that household around those that crew that i was hanging around and so it's like these things happen to us and they are uh, we have an opportunity to to use them as as reasons to not let them define us to show up differently in the world and yeah, I think that, I think that's opportunity. And I guess going back to your first question, like, that's what I think is going on here at a, just at a larger scale, like mm. the shadow parts of society are coming to the surface in all these documentaries, and all these cameras, like footages, all this film, all this sort of stuff is coming out like, that's why there's an opportunity here. Just like, I don't want to be in this suicidal, mm-hmm. addicted state. I needed that to transcend, to overcome myself and create change in my life. And that's why I think going back to your first question, like this is an opportunity here that we have at a very large scale to realize that all this shit's going on and that we have to make some changes. And, and that's where the opportunity comes in. So it's, I think it, it, the things that happen to us, they they can provide us a new perspective.
0: Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great way to, to bring it full circle. And I, and I think definitely illustrates your point. Well, that that at times, uh, when when the I guess quote unquote darker side of things comes forward, and and we are kind of vaulted into this space of of even more awareness of the problems that exist, uh, that in a way is is the necessary space to be in to to create any sort of change, and where you often have to go, uh, whether it be through through psychedelics or uh, in you know, the, the public sphere that we, we have to kind of really be able to see everything that is wrong in, in high definition. And that can be very uncomfortable and it can be a very emotional process. But to be able to see that is is really the only way through it and to be able to actually address it instead of it being something that uh, in a way remains in, in the shadow that we, we can't fully understand it. We can't uh, fully accept it for what it is. And And together decide how we ought to attempt to change these things. Um, So I I certainly appreciate you bringing that back around. But um, yeah, something that just came to mind, and I, I guess I would understand if it's a sensitive topic. But given how you've spoken this far, I assume that it's not. Um, I know that that Mother's Day just passed, and uh, I'm maybe just a little curious about how that, how that sort of day is for you, or if you still have a, a relationship with your mother now.
1: Yeah, for sure. I actually went up to Iowa where I grew up and spent time with my mom. I had a so I have a good relationship with my mom now. I mean, my my life w- once I was kicked out, I moved away and I got around a better circle. My dad recently had moved back like the year before to to Iowa where I grew up and um I just in a better better environment, mm. but I still have this 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 mission to go to the Marines. So I graduated early from high school and went to the Marines. And I mean, around that time when I was coming back, I, you know, I I I I called my like when I was gone, like I would call my mom like a couple times a month and like we really built the relationship. But interestingly enough, when I it wasn't until like like twenty seventeen though, that I I realized I, I started to feel really disconnected from my my family more and more. Mm and just really unhappy a lot of things were coming this at the, around this time is when like a lot of things were coming to my awareness about my life and my upbringing and like kind of just like that happened in my past I was kicked out for that reason like I was a troublemaker but I would never really thought about it it just was kind of there my mom and I never talked about it at some point in there I went you know I I um started you know going back to visit her and that kind of stuff sometime in high school and I, I don't remember even what that was like but we never talked about it but I, I, as I was kicked out of my house my freshman year, and I had spent all this time away, I started to feel this weird, weird disconnection. And and actually, then I don't know. It was it was a very strange time because I felt so. I felt like when I came back to visit my family from the military that I was like a, it was like a, it was like a different family or like I didn't belong. Mm. Still. Right. And, and then fast forward a bit, I, I traveled a, out of the country for, for quite a while and about 10 months. And then I came back. And the reason I came back was because my older brother who got pancreatic cancer when he was 14, which was like 20, 21, 22 years prior to this, this was 2019. I came back cause I felt like, although he'd been this roller coaster of like, is he going to die? Is he going to make it? Um, the, like never knowing what's going to happen with him. Cause he was told when he was 18 that he had a 6% or um, he had six months to live. He, most people that like, there's like a 5% chance of survival with pancreatic cancer, like all these sort of statistics right mm. in their face. And he kept going, like going into remission and coming, he kept coming back. So either way it was a roller coaster. but I knew I just had this feeling like things were changing when I was abroad and I needed to come back. And then once again, I came back and I really felt like, to me, I was like a shell of the person I was before I left on my trip. I, mm-hmm. I was a completely different person. I had all these different experiences. I, you know, plant medicine, but also just traveling is like is medicine. Um, you know, I was able to I engaged like I proposed to my now wife for the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Like we had this incredible just adventure of a lifetime time abroad, but then I mm-hmm. came home because I knew my brother was really getting sick and I I I felt that disconnection again. And there was a lot of like stuff that came up with my mom at that point. And and then over the really the next year, that I again I had an address I, that was just bubbling beneath the surface, and I think as a as a child you know you crave your parents' love and affection, and because I mm-hmm. feel like I didn't get it in the way that I needed at the time, that there was this sort of like, if it was that or something else, but either way there was a lot of things going on and then beneath the surface that that still came up to me and it affected me up until like last year, you know? So mm-hmm. I was still working through some things that were just kind of beneath the surface running running my life. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, just on on Saturday or Sunday, when I was sitting there talking to my mom, I asked her like what it was like, you know, I, I talked about what her life was like, a divorce. And then, then she had to quit her job and she struggled financially with all these things. And, and then her oldest son got cancer. Like we were in trouble a lot all these sort of things. And I just asked her what it was like. And she just told me, you know, she did the best she could. And it was very tough. Like she was, it was kind of like, I am meeting my mom where she is and understanding that her trying to understand her view of the world. And then I actually asked her, what was it like to get punched in the face by your son or something like that? And she was like, I was shocked. And she kind of i don't know I, I think we have some disagreements on on how how the situation was um I felt like a little bit of like of like blame and like um feeling of like being invalidated mm. now as an adult about right. how I felt as a child and like what led to that sort of stuff mm. but i mean to answer your question like we're fine, we don't really talk about it except for we just did like two days ago, so right. we're good but we're good and um I, I recognize my, my family is, is who they are and I'm a, a part of that, but I'm also like living my life and, and trying and, and not letting my past or my family or whatever aff- affect me, you know, in a negative way, as much as I have awareness to, I guess.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but yeah, just to make a little bit of a uh, of a pivot from there, I do appreciate you sharing that. But I know that you have spent a, a good amount of time, whether it through be through plant medicine or your time in the military or as a firefighter, you have spent a lot of time, I guess, having to address fear in a way. And you have had to face a lot of things that people might conventionally consider to be fears to be dealt with uh but i'm i'm curious at at this point in your life what are you what would you say that you're still most afraid of
1: well most recently like maybe a week or two ago so i i'm trained in a process that works on your subconscious emotions including fears limiting beliefs and these sort of things so mm-hmm. i went through this process um a couple of weeks ago and what came up at the time, which I think is is still relevant to me here now, is this, this sort of fear, uh, a fear of rejection and a fear of abandonment. And I think as I thought about it, you know, a couple weeks ago when we did this, that that stemmed from my childhood, my dad leaving, you know, when you're when you're a kid. Abandonment means death, you know, so mm. if you don't address those fears and the, and the rejection, probably from getting getting kicked out of my 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 mom's house or maybe they're a combination of both or maybe they're the same thing I'm not sure, but I think that's the thing that like that um is most prevalent in my life right now and actually as I, and, and so i'll I'll speak into that a little bit more. One thing that's really served me is conversations like this where I'm sharing openly. I used to mm-hmm. be very closed up very tight very like very angry really. And my, the way I was mm-hmm. it probably at the, I, I, a lot of times I think anger is like the, the masculine sort of overcompensation for a deep feeling of sadness and, and a feeling of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's for my childhood as well. Um, but I think one way to overcome those things is like by sharing them, by, by communicating them. And once you communicate things, you can, you can see the the stories that are going on in your life. You can find the cycles you know, So that's what I, I've done a lot of work with that, really. So mm. I haven't always been just like so quick to tell you that I've punched right. my mom in the face, actually, just like in the last couple of months is when I first started talking about that other than like that, mm. like other than oh, that, wow. like three three or four, probably the last year, I guess. But either, other than that, like two people knew about it kind of thing. Mm. So I think once I've, I've done that, that's, that's been really powerful for me but I still have a a fear like social media is something that I'm working through often as my, my business, I need to be active on social media. I need to be creating value for people. I need to be putting myself out there. Um, and I, I've held myself back a lot. I have had a lot of very diverse experiences and a lot of, I think I have a different perspective from, from my military experience, from my upbringing, from my travel experiences, all these things that I, that I've done and the things that I've seen. I have a different experience, but I've always felt like I didn't matter. So I didn't speak into those. And so I'm actively working on sharing more things, being open, being open, being vulnerable. I've, I've hired coaches to help me with storytelling and all these sort of things. So I think mm-hmm. I'm working on that. But but I think another thing that maybe is coming up for me as I'm saying this is like, a, well, it must be a, a fear of success or a fear, a fear of failure. It might be a, it might be a fear of success because my my, my life has been uh, I always am doing different things but sometimes I have a hard time committing to a path which is why I think it might be fear or success. I do I do a lot of different things mm-hmm. and I know I know that if I'm not committed and I'm not consistent and I'm not clearing the vision I have for my life and I don't and I, and I know where I'm going and I'm sticking to that without being spread too thin then I'm gonna fail. So I think a lot of times people, myself included, this has been a common theme in my life. Um, I, I do too many things and I get overwhelmed, I get burnt out and I I, I can't follow through. So I, I wonder now if that's still going on in my life. I think it's come to my awareness a lot more. And as I kind of address all these things and make some changes in my life, but maybe at a, at a at a pretty core level, Brandon, thanks for asking this question. I think I need to do some work Mm -hmm. on this, but it's like this fear of, um, I think it's a fear of success. Maybe it's a fear of like, well, if it's my family that I'm, I've left behind that I need to work through and like, let go of like, let let go of those attachments and try to like conform to those limited perspectives they have of me, you know, me outgrowing that and becoming successful would, would not align with those, what I was, told I was going to be my, pretty much my entire life. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I think I need some work here.
0: Yeah.
1: I of success, but I think that might be something that I have to work through as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think, uh, I guess in the name of this whole project that, that maybe some level of, of imposter syndrome plays a role in that, that you, you feel like there's maybe a gap between, uh, what you might bring to the world, uh, or what, how you're perceived. And, uh, I guess what is more deeply internal or as you spoke to what was what was kind of ingrained uh, at a young age that people will maybe see you or, or see some of the things that you've done and say, okay, this is, he's been successful or, you know, Jesse's good at this, Jesse's good at that, uh, but that doesn't necessarily uh, match with how you feel internally.
1: I think this is probably here right now a little bit, but I think it was a huge thing As I look back on my life, a huge thing as, as I grew in rank as a Marine, but especially Mm -hmm. when I wanted to become a firefighter, when I got picked up as a firefighter and then amplified times 10, when I was a firefighter of the year, speaking in front of hundreds of firefighters at the state fire school. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And this idea that, you know, I was always discounting my own value. I was discounting what I I didn't think I was good enough, you know? So I think this idea of being an imposter, like even when I was at the, the fire academy, the fire service is typically a very competitive positions or there, there's good pay, typically good benefits. There's a mm-hmm. lot to go into on that. I don't think that's the case anymore necessarily, but you know, it's, it's a good job. And I thought it was a good job and I was very patriotic and I believed that this was my path. But then yeah. I was going around, I was looking at all these people who had all these different experiences and I was just like belittling myself. But I was a combat mm-hmm. marine. I, I I was a squad leader. I was meritorious so promoted twice. Uh, you know, I've went on three deployments. I've traveled the world. This at this point, I was getting great grades in college. After I have hundreds of hours of volunteer experience, and I was like applying myself in the community. But even still, when I got around all these other people to become a firefighter, I scored really well on the test. Like all these things were going on. This evidence mm-hmm. was there that I was like worthy of having the job but I still didn't believe it in my partner at the time. Like I just, I remember telling her, you know, over and over again, how like, I don't think I'm going to get this job. Like I just felt like I wasn't good enough for that mm. position. And then I got the job and you know, it was still like this sort of feeling of anxiety, but I'm a big dude. You can't see that on the podcast, but I'm like 240 pounds. Like I said, mm. as, a, as a kid, one of my escapes was uh, where I learned how to lift weights. Mm. And my in seventh grade was a really big year for me. So I s- suicidal, 9-11, but I also got my first mentor. And my first mentor was, I think it was Mr. Blue. He worked at my school as a, ju- as a juvenile court officer. And basically Mr. Blue took us to the YMCA and lift weights. He was a former Kansas City Chiefs football player. So he got me lifting weights basically. Oh, okay, but cool. I built this big this big structure around myself. And so I used exercise and I used, you know, anger and, Projected all my insecurities out in that way, but I just plowed through life. And then it all kind of came to a T when I had founded this nonprofit in 2017, which is part of the reason I became firefighter of the year. And I was speaking in front of hundreds of firefighters at the state fire school. And then about a month later, when I had to pull the brakes on the nonprofit, I was completely wrapped up in it. And mm. that's when I, I, I basically. I broke down, mm. so, you know, man, what did, I forgot your question. Actually, I want to make sure I answered. I kind of went down a, a rabbit hole there.
0: Oh, Where gotcha. You, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, I think you answered it in a way. I mean, my, my question was just kind of if you felt like any of uh, what you have been experiencing throughout your life, but, but even also now, uh, has to do with a certain imposter syndrome or that that disconnect you've been speaking to between. Uh, how you're maybe perceived by the world and and maybe what material success you have versus how you actually feel about yourself internally.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, so the firefighter of the year then was like the, the it was all building up to that. You know, I had done all these different things. I had was successful in the Marines. I was successful in different areas. And then I was, as a firefighter, at, at the pinnacle of profession, talking in front of hundreds of firefighters at State Fire School, I felt good in a way But then like the rug was pulled out from underneath me. And I think it was all self-sabotage. It Mm. was a lot of these things that were going on. And so, yes, it definitely relates back to this idea of being an imposter. I didn't think I was good enough. So I self-sabotage, I subconsciously sabotage my own success. Mm. And so I guess as I say that out loud now, that's, that's what maybe the fear of success is something along. I bet those are related. Mm too. But yeah, definitely, definitely this idea of an imposter as feeling not good enough, feeling unworthy, all those things have played a huge role in throughout my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly a relatable, a relatable sentiment. And I think sometimes it's a certain level of success also comes with a certain degree of pressure and that individuals often feel as though, uh, if they do succeed, or if they do accomplish things that they want to, then it it builds a certain expectation, and that in the future they they might not be able to live up to that, or or whatever it may be, or that maybe their their past experiences, their past successes were were more so uh, a front for the the internal failures that they had, or the, something on that level. And I think I, as I've spoken to many times, it's a part of the reason I. I started this whole project in the first place was that it was it always been a challenge for me to be outward with my perspectives and my work because I always had a lot of fear that that maybe it wasn't good enough or that maybe if I if I really shared um and people rejected that it didn't resonate with people that that would that would hurt far more than than not ever you know taking the chance in the first place but obviously here we are. So, uh, you know, I I think we're, uh, I think on, on different levels we're we're pushing in the same direction, but, uh, yeah, I I did want to ask you, you've mentioned kind of being generally very service oriented at a time in your life. You, you obviously, you joined the Marines, you, you were a public servant in a way you started in a nonprofit and, um, I've done a lot of work in, in the volunteer space. And I'm just curious if you you have any insight in regards to, to where that inclination came from and uh, maybe what form that's taken for you or what form that's taken on now in this kind of new phase of your life. So I think when I,
1: if I were to try to pinpoint the origin of this, this desire to serve, well, first I think it's like a, I think it's a natural desire humans have to, to serve this. I think there's a call to serve something larger than ourself that I think is innate in a lot of us. And I think if we suppress that or we don't own that, or we don't for whatever reason act on a desire to not be so damn selfish and actually contribute to something, the, the whole, mm. then, right. then we're going to be left behind. But I think for me personally, the origin of this would be my my mother and how I saw her. No matter what was going on, she was always doing the best she could for her four children. She opened this childcare. She was always taking in kids that no other childcare would take in, whether they're from the state mm-hmm. or from from uh, families who who couldn't afford to put their kids in child childcare. She would like let kids stay there because she felt. Mm-hmm even after the, her, their parents wouldn't pay for weeks and months at a time because she right. felt that it was better to have them there than for them to be at home by themselves or with their parents or whatever was going mm. on in, the, in that family. So I think I learned a lot just sort of observing my mom and how she showed up for for her kids. It was very, very stressful for all of us. There's a lot of things that go into it, but I know as I look back, like, She was always doing the best she could. And she was she's the type of person that would take in stray dogs, picks up picks up cats off the side of the road, like she still does this now. And she's just always giving of herself. And then Mm -hmm. I think the next thing probably was 9-11, you know, watching the firefighters go into the World Trade Center and never make it back out alive. They went in the face of near certain death, you know, to help to serve complete strangers. And mm-hmm. so I think this natural draw from that age to contribute to that something larger than myself, that feeling started back then. And I, I think mm-hmm. as I look back on my life now that we all, what what we need, what every human needs is a, is a coach and a calling. And a calling is, again, it's service of something larger than yourself. And that could be some grand world-changing thing or it could be just really really close to home, like being there for your family or your community or, or, you know, your little brother or whatever it might be. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then when I, when I joined the military, same sort of thing, it was just feeling of like, of service. And we, it, I mean, it definitely going back to your ego, like it's definitely boosts your ego when you're like, people are thanking you all the time and, you know, right. maybe buying you dinners and stuff, you know, maybe that doesn't happen all the time, but like it, it does. And people are thanking you for your service and these sort of things. So these sort of things just get ingrained in us. In, in the military, especially. Um, and then my, my call from that experience as a seventh grader was to become a firefighter. Um, but I think a big, actually, as I, as I think about my, my life and a, a big part of this, when I separated from the military in 2011, I struggled a lot with I mean, transition is is very hard for the military. Leaving the unmistakable sense of structure and purpose, the camaraderie, the connections you've had with your your brothers who you've went through some serious shit with over the past four years and you separate into the civilian world where it's full of a a bunch of people who are just really self-serving in in Mm. a lot of ways or that's the vibe you get. You know, you feel like you're all alone. Your best friends and your brothers are spread around the country. You're going back to a world that doesn't understand what you've been through. So... For me, I I, I cope with with drugs and partying, I think, like most 20-year-olds do, early 20-somethings do. And I found a sense of – well, I think the first major experience that happened for me as it relates to service beyond the military, beyond what I saw with my mother, was in 2013, I was fortunate enough to go on this volunteer trip to Lima, Peru. And I worked mm-hmm. at an orphanage for two weeks for disadvantaged disadvantage for these, not disadvantage, for these, well, these kids who had, had nothing, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, these kids had played with sticks and balls and they had some dirt, a uh, dirt field to play with these sticks and balls, but they were the happiest kids that I'd ever met. You know, when I mm-hmm. went down there on, on the way down there. I thought about how I couldn't wait to get down there and help these kids. You know, I had was a Marine Corps combat veteran and I was this and this and I was from America and, and all these things. But then, after spending two weeks with these kids who had six-in balls in dirt and the biggest smiles I'd ever seen, I realized that they helped me. They changed me, mm-hmm. and they opened my mind to. Well, they they for the first time in my life made me look back at myself and and what I thought I was supposed to be doing, or, you know, the values I thought I was supposed to hold. I thought America was the best place in the world. Yet, people I served with were committing suicide. There's starting to be a rising rising rates of mental health disorders and substance abuse that I'm I'm tuning into I'm experiencing myself and then here I am with these kids who have nothing but they're they're so happy. So it, for the first time in my life it it started to give me a lot of questions about how I'm living. What's what's the best way to live? Like all these things that I thought I knew came mm. to the surface and I had to address them. But it opened my mind to like the value I felt a lot of value I felt like I was I was um I was getting something back when I was serving, you know, I learned a lot about myself. I realized I do have value in the world in some ways. And so that when I got back from from Peru in 2013, I started to volunteer and I think I mentioned a little bit ago, like I have hundreds of hours of volunteer experience. Like that trip is what led me to wanna to volunteer and really apply myself to the community. I worked at an oncology playroom at the Phoenix Children's Hospital. I was um, worked at a grief camp for kids. I was a youth mentor, kind of painted back. Like my uh, I said, Mr. Blue saved my life as a seventh grade boy. I brought that full circle and I became a mentor for, for uh, uh, a kid who was homeless. Um, at a time, you know, him and his little brother. And so I just feel like that's what we're here to do. And in those times when I, I I couldn't get over myself, I was addicted to my anger or I was being selfish and I was smoking weed or doing other drugs or whatever it was, you know, service allowed me to to get over myself. And when I was not mm-hmm. feeling good about myself, service has a way of like revealing you do have worth, you know, because you, mm-hmm. you put yourself in these different situations that most people who just stay focused on themselves all the time they'll never get an opportunity to experience so mm-hmm. that kind of led to I mean this kind of bringing I guess my my story my life full circle but this mentor to save my life and I um I really believe that because he was just there I, I felt that as this troubled kid who had no positive role models I had my father wasn't around very much um my mom was doing her thing and I was struggling a lot. Mr. Blue saved my life. And then when I was mm-hmm. searching for meaning and trying to find my way after the military, I found that through service, I was able to find to, to sort of rebuild that sense of purpose that I lost when I, when I left the military. And so that was basically the nonprofit that I started. It was a mentorship component or it was a, it was a leadership and resiliency training program for at-risk youth with a follow on mentorship for veterans and first responders. So basically I thought that my whole life was preparing me for because that was my life journey. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. a struggling kid that didn't have anybody besides a mentor to save my life. And I thought that as I could, I could then create this on a larger scale for other people. So it, it played mm-hmm. a huge role in my life in my, my decisions, um, how it plays now. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I always come back. So if I think back about the times in my life, I mentioned, this before, I think, but I, I, my, my, my motto, my theme, the way I want to measure my life is not by any sort of external measures of success. It's, it's instead it's by how much I give, how much I grow and how far I go. So this is the principles of service, growth and action. And that Mm -hmm. was, this has been, what's really allowed me to own my life in the ways that I have overcome myself, really be like the author of my life. Instead of just Mm -hmm. letting someone else or my past or like my family or teachers that said I was a failure or anybody else, you know, write my life. It's service, growth, and action. And I think the service component was what adds a lot of meaning to life and living that has really um, allowed me to take charge of my life and and just write the story. So I think Mm -hmm. I rambled on there a little bit. But basically service as is is what we all need it's how we find meaning and i think that it's 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 played a huge role in my life from from people that i've met my own personal experiences and i believe that's why we're all here to serve something larger than ourself
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i i definitely don't consider it uh gratuitous at all i mean i think you, you did a good job of of providing some clarity to the to the picture there and i think it's that whole model of uh service and, and giving and, and action, uh, yeah, it's definitely one I'll have to, to hang on to and, and digest a little bit myself. Um, but on the action front, I, I know a part of what you do, uh, I guess a part of your identity, as as one might say, is you, you describe yourself as an action-oriented person. And obviously, this has lots of benefits. But I'm, I'm just curious if you ever find that that quality presents barriers barriers to you know necessary periods of, of inaction or stillness or just passive observation or awareness. Like do you feel like you always have to be doing?
1: Well I, I, I think subconsciously I do, but I know that I shouldn't and this is an ongoing problem for me. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned a little bit ago that I'm always trying to do it to uh, like if you try to do too many things, if you're always acting, you're always doing, you can never mm-hmm. be, you can never receive, you can never enjoy, and so this is yes, absolutely, it's been a huge problem in in my life, I would say, and I think that's my, my problem is in like like when I would ex- like it started off with exercising, my problem was that I wouldn't exercise, it was that I was exercising too much, I'd overdo it. When I started business, when I when I've started businesses, it's not that I was. I mean, not starting the business is so I was like taking on too many projects at once and I was getting overwhelmed, you know? So this mm-hmm. is something I'm, I'm actually on, it's ongoing. Like when I was just last year, I ran a marathon, but I'm, I, I've always lifted oh, wow. weights. And so i yeah. I transitioned from that and then I, I ran a half marathon and then I ran a marathon and the next week I ran a, a sparring race and it's, it fucked up my sleep for like over a year, actually just <laughs> like in the last couple of months. Like, so Yeah, oh, wow. it, it's been a huge, it's been a huge problem, but I, I read a, um, I read a and actually one of the, the, the main things that I got from this last retreat that we had in March was, you know, slow the fuck down, basically. You know, you got yeah. you gotta just kind of like the same thing as like slow down, enjoy, be present, be grateful and, and enjoy this. But I also mm-hmm. know like intellectually, and I've read a interpretation of the Tao the Te Ching, like the yin and the yang that are the principles of action and receptivity. So it's like the doing and and the receiving or um you know the the giving and the receiving, so doing and mm-hmm. the being. It's like these different. There are different principles, but they're they're some the masculine and the feminine. You know, there's different right. different qualities, and um, we all need them. I think the idea behind being uh, being action oriented is just like a slight tilt into the action, a little mm-hmm. bit more action, because I think a lot of people are passive. I think we all think that other people on uh, sort of general. And a sort of generalization is like everyone thinks that it's not their responsibility and – or they are kind of helpless to their situation. And I think the way through pretty much anything is to to give, to grow, or to go, to take action. So Mm -hmm. although it's been a great blessing in my life, it's also an ongoing battle that I have to work through to find balance, to have enough energy, to – enjoy the life i'm creating for my for my for myself for my for my wife my young my starting, starting this family that i'm i'm starting here um
0: mm-hmm. and, and yeah so- yeah no i mean I, I think you you seem to have a, a, a great awareness of of the uh of both sides of the spectrum there and i think generally speaking if uh as as you put it having a tilt towards action is is a good place to be and, and obviously if you're totally out of balance. There's always going to be lots of downstream negative consequences, but it is how I often frame it as, as kind of one of the biggest questions of life is, or the challenges is balancing that those two forces, of uh, balancing progress and acceptance and, and wanting better for yourself and your family, but also being able to accept that, that maybe everything is, you already have everything that you need and it's, it's always a, a challenge for me and one that I think being more focused on that front has allowed me to to live a much more fulfilled and, and enjoyable life is, is being able to because I, I think I lean that way as well. And at times it's 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 constant. It, it's go, go, go. And I I find it uh, I found it very refreshing over the past couple of years to, to spend more time in, in observation, and acceptance and, and acknowledging all that I do have and that it's always worth asking, like is everything, maybe everything is perfect just the way that it is, or maybe I already have every, everything I already need is is right in front of me. Uh, it's more a matter of, of being grateful for it, but at the same time, there's there, there's always the other side and, and there's always always a drive to, to move forward and to explore and to expand and, and to be curious. And I think they're equally powerful and important forces um, and I think to your point most people maybe are are too far on the passive side uh but you know, of course some sort of some sort of balance there based on someone's disposition and and what they have in front of them is is definitely where you want to be in the long term
1: yeah I, I kind of look at it as like we have these seasons of life we go through you know we have to there's times where we have to do a lot of action we have to take conscious action we have to make some serious changes in life we have to uh, there's a lot of things you have to do and that's mm-hmm. great. But we have to balance the next season uh, is to receive, you know, enjoy the fruits of our labor, enjoy the the things that we've created in our life, whatever it is. Otherwise, it's like, you know, you just drive. I always kind of just envision this because it's how I live is kind of just plowing my way through life. You know, just my mm-hmm. head's down. I'm always just doing and I'm just ruining. And, like, and then you plow your way through life and you look back and you realize that like. There's all that you, all the people you loved, all the opportunities you have to be, to be grateful, to be present, to to enjoy, to accept, you know, to love, are behind you, and you're like all alone because you've just plowed through life, spending all this time doing. So, I think mm-hmm. as like there's different times in our life when we, when we need to we need to act more, when you get off your ass and actually get to work, and there's times when we have to realize that just like you shouldn't be like I was like running a marathon and then a freaking Spartan race and doing all this stuff. And then I was trying to get back into weights right after that. Like that was not sustainable. And it, it seriously messed up my body for a very long time, like over a year. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that was a huge lesson that it was, I was very hard headed to, to, to recognize that I just need to relax and give my body a break. But across the board, like we go through these different seasons and we have to just, like you said, be grateful for where we are and, and enjoy that and, and just accept that space but know that where we are right now isn't like where we're always going to be
0: Mm, right yeah yeah that's a a great way to put a bow on it um but yeah i think uh we're we're getting to a point where i i'd like to to start to wrap things up but one thing that i did want to touch on before um before we go in that direction, is uh, and something that is is kind of close to my heart these days, and some experiences that I've had. But I I know that you've dealt with a significant amount of you know, loss and, and adversity in your life, and you've had some situations in which you've you've seen other people who are in very similar experiences, like you spoke like you've spoken to, and who had very different outcomes. Um, And, you know, you've seen family, friends, uh, people in all sorts of circumstances, whether they go down a certain path or or just simply aren't here anymore. And I'm just curious if some version of survivor's guilt, as it's often put, is is something that you've struggled with. And and if so, how you cope with that?
1: The direct answer to this question is I don't have any survivor's guilt. I don't feel, I don't feel guilty for being alive. And I think mm-hmm. that really ultimately is being, is doing a huge disservice to those people that no longer have the gift of life. And I know mm-hmm. that the people that are no longer here, like I said, my best friend died of a heroin overdose. My 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 brother did die that summer that I came home from traveling in 2019. I have seen a lot of, of loss I, you know, ever since high school, I've been around people who have committed suicide and and car accident crashes and these sort of things. But I know that all these people, I serve with people who died in combat, like all these things I've experienced, I know for sure that those people, if I could talk to them, they would want me to live the best life that I could because they don't get that opportunity anymore. And I think that, again, we're doing those people at a service if we choose to feel guilty because guilt is like one of the lowest, the lowest emotions that we have. And, and it's our, our mm-hmm. responsibility to, to overcome that, to live in honor of these people who are no longer here and really make the most of our time here and, and maybe balanced in a more balanced way, but taking action and creating your life. Just like in using in using them, those people that are no longer here, as fuel, as opposed to being a weight that just burdens you for the rest of your life, using them as fuel, as motivation, as inspiration, um, to to live the absolute best life you can, to be a be of service, to grow and expand your 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 awareness and your knowledge, see what really is going on out there in the world, to take action and do something with your life, so. I don't have survivor's guilt. And that's, that's what I think about it. And that's what I would say to cope with it is recognize the fact that you're doing these people a disservice by choosing to not live your life.
0: Hmm. But Yeah, I, I think it's a, a really valuable insight to, to hang on to. And, and I think a, a helpful reminder for, for anyone who's, who's dealing with any sort of loss or, or just coping with previous adversity, or especially as it relates to, to those that, that maybe didn't get so lucky or that uh, outcomes that didn't pan out quite how they expected. And I certainly can relate to that on, on a lot of levels. But um, before, we, before we totally wrap up here, I just wanted to ask one more question uh, to leave our audience with something. I know we've talked a lot about plant medicine and psychedelics and, and the role that that's played in your life and how much it's transformed you and, and revealed to you and the value that it's it's presented. So I'm just curious uh, if you have any insights for anyone who's listened to this and, and is kind of new to the concept, but has an interest in maybe dipping their toe in the water um, on the, the plant medicine front, if there's just a, a direction in which you would uh, send them, if they're, just looking to maybe learn a little bit more or see if it might be for them. And uh, yeah, just kind of what questions they might want to ask themselves to, to figure out, figure that sort of thing out.
1: First, I want to speak into, uh, I think the value of these different things, these natural plant medicines, the, this sort of consider like nature's technology. I think the future, what we need is emergence between Eastern and Western philosophies, between science and, and, and spirituality emergence between, modern day technology and and nature's technology and these sort of plant medicines. So I I think they're incredibly valuable. And I think, as I talked about before, what's going to bring us from our head to our heart and allow us to level up our lives on a mass scale. That being said, I don't think everyone should take this on. But I do Mm -hmm. believe that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So someone that is interested in this, whatever a medicine, whether it's mushrooms or ayahuasca or or bufo or some other sort of something i i think it'll come into your life when it's time and there's this feeling like you get a call towards this like i had a call towards ayahuasca it just felt right in my life it started my trip while traveling like it just felt right so i think that's the first thing is is just to recognize that when it's time you know there, the opportunity is going to come come your way. You're going to meet someone. You're going to hear about on this podcast. Mm. You're going to find a blog, like whatever it is. When the time is there, it'll come into your awareness, and then there'll be an opportunity to move forward into that. Now, like we talked about before, like the first step of of transforming your life and changing your life and all the work that these, all the value, uncovering all the value that these things bring, is making the trip down there. And with any psychedelics, the main things are set and setting and so the set is your mindset Mm -hmm. it's it's like the state of mind you're in when you go like if you're experiencing a lot of if you're not in a good space you're not in a good mindset you're not willing to let go of some things or you're not willing to i was going to say like if you're grieving or if you're um if you're grieving or if you're experiencing a lot of stuff like a lot of Anxiety or those sort of things, maybe it's not a good thing idea to go. But also, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I think these these medicines, depending on where you're at as far as like openness to resolving those things, they are going to give mm-hmm. you answers and help you resolve that. But you have to be willing to let it go. So it's almost like a growth mindset versus a closed off mindset. You want to go with the growth mindset, a willingness to let leave a lesser right. version of you behind. So that's the set. The setting is like where the hell you're going. There's all kinds of stuff out there. There's all kinds of like I've heard some horror stories from ayahuasca from people who drink it because they got it from some dude's basement or some shit like that. Like it's like crazy. Sure. You know, you want these things are mm. they deserve respect? They command respect, and if you don't respect them or you get around and, and you get putting yourself in a bad position, um, you know it can be it can be traumatic. It can be really really challenging and, and dangerous, like outright dangerous. So you got to make sure you're going to a good, you're 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 in a good space, but you're also going to a good space. And and if you're dealing with something like um indi- like an indigenous medicine, like like ayahuasca or some of these other ones that have been used in the Amazon or in, in indigenous cultures, you want to make sure you're going to a place where the people know what the hell they're doing. They are,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, a shaman is an actual shaman, not some just some guy who read a book off off Amazon and now he's hosting retreats in <laughs> in some some right for in place, you know? So make sure you, you get a good spot to go. And I think the best way to find that is through people in your community. You know, like I said, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, like, how'd you find out about that? Like ask that person how their experience was you know ask about people you know that have done whatever you're seeking to go do like look on some Facebook groups Mm -hmm. there's like a bunch of ayahuasca you know there's psychedelic there's all these different groups I probably don't even know about that are on social media you can find you can ask your questions and just get a good feel for like where the best places to go that fits your needs Um, and then just go in and once you've you've got all those things in order you're you're you know that you're gonna face some shit and you're willing to let those things go you're willing to Make the trip, and you find a good spot to go where you where it's safe. You'll be supported. You've talked to people that have been to that that retreat center or um, to that shaman or or whatever it is. All those things are in order. I mean, really, you got to go in with no expectations, and because some people have oh, this, I, I, I always keep going back to ayahuasca, but that's not only plant medicine here. But with ayahuasca specifically, like I've had some very very profound visions. Um, I've had some very profound experiences, but then I've also had some, some times where I'm just like laying there on the mat the whole time with no visions, no, nothing, you know? And so each time you just have to trust that this medicine will give you exactly what you need, but you have to go in with no expectations. You have to be willing to surrender to the experience, whatever might come, whatever pain might come up, whatever, whatever stuff you press down that's coming up, whatever movies, whatever visions you are seeing, whatever uh, stuff you're experiencing, the, the key in those moments is to, to, to surrender to that experience. So I think, I think that's in general, the, 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 the things to consider when you're considering jumping into the plant medicine world. Do your research, make sure you're going to a good spot, make sure you're in a good spot mentally, and make sure you're willing to go in with no expectations and just really surrender to the experience and receive whatever comes your way. Because again, back to ayahuasca, these things are very intelligent, which is why I refer to it as nature's technology. The way ayahuasca works is you drink it, it it does a scan of your body, it does a diagnosis to uncover what you need, and then it delivers on that. Whether that's a deep emotional purge, whether it's like a lot of physical purge, whether it's like um, other 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 things, there's all kinds of different experiences that will come from it. And no one has, no one ever has the same experience twice, you know. So it's it's there's a lot that goes into it. But um, when once you go in and you've cultivated the courage it takes to go down there, and it is time. You just got to surrender to it and be willing to receive it. And then, like we talked about, if we could circle back to the, the beginning of this, integrate. The real work begins once you come home and you have the opportunity to integrate the lessons you've learned to your real life. That is where transformation truly occurs. And that's what we need right here and now in the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you really hit the nail on the head there. I I couldn't have said it better. And I think you, you definitely gave a good, gave the highlights on, on the, the important points there that, that really, uh. I think sometimes get missed uh, in, in these sorts of conversations. So I, I certainly appreciate you doing that, and, and I think you you really provided a, a balanced perspective on uh, on a really kind of important and, and exciting and emerging uh, aspect of life. So again, Jesse, I, I really appreciate you doing this. This is this has been an awesome conversation, and uh, I think we, we covered a lot of ground that I wasn't really expecting. So I just really appreciate you being vulnerable and, and open today and, uh, uh, just offering up some, some new things to consider.
1: Oh yeah, man. Thanks, Brandon. I, pre- I appreciate you inviting me on. It's been a great conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, uh, I, I certainly hope that, uh, maybe sometime in the future we can, we can circle back and do this again. Yeah. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, until next time.